Welcome to the Fod Eater Fod Path. <laughs> hey everybody, it's Froth here with the Thought Eater Podcast. How are you doing? Hope you're doing well. Thank you very much for listening, checking out the show. I'm still a little under the weather, y'all, I gotta be honest with you. I thought it was maybe just uh, not getting some sleep the other day, but I haven't felt very well, so I'm, I'm actually going to go to the doctor tomorrow. Get checked out, see what's going on, but um, I'm not on my deathbed or anything, so don't count me out yet, but just haven't been feeling that great, but um, we'll figure it out. Maybe one of my medic various medications needs to be adjusted or something like that, but I feel well enough to push through hump day, I hope, at least at the beginning I do, so that's what we're going to do. It's hump day blogorama. The weekly show where I'm talking about stuff I spotted on RPG blogs. And uh, there's no way I can cover everything, y'all. You know that. Too much awesomeness. But I do try to pick out some cool stuff that uh, is worth highlighting and I think worth uh, pointing people to. So I talk about it here on the podcast and then over at the Thought Eater blog, which is Froth's Off. Worst don't get me started. Froth Soft. Froth S O F D and D dot blogspot.com. Or just Google the Thought Eater blog. Or hey, by now you should have a bookmark, right? Or added to your blog roll. Hint, hint. Uh, well, anyway, over at the Thought Eater blog, I, I put up the links for all the stuff that I talk about. So you can go check it out and make sure you tell the bloggers that they're doing great, which is something that I forgot to do the last week. Maybe even the week before. So I need to go by and let all these people know. A lot of people I'll let know on Twitter or on other social media that, that I put their stuff up. But um, I, I, I'm not following everybody. So there's probably some folks out there that I I, need, I owe an apology to for not thanking you right away for linking your stuff. But um, anyway, you can tell where I'm at today. But I think I got a really good show. Um, there's a lot of good content this week, like every week. And I had some good call-ins. Um, I want to start with uh, a couple from Ray Otis. Now, this isn't about last week's show. This is about, uh, I guess it was the May 22nd show. I was talking about Cave Girl's new game, Deep Morphian Transmissions, and I kind of went off on a tangent about lucid dreaming. It's cool to, you know, the more I talk with Ray and everything, even though we're kind of just talking back and forth on the Anchor app, you know, the more I discover we sort of have in common. He's a much more eloquent, erudite individual than old Froth. I'm more of a, well, uh, unwashed, you know, heathen barbarian, it seems like. Uh, but we do cross paths. Uh, we do have some similar life experiences, it sounds like. And so Ray had something to say about lucid dreaming. Very interesting stuff. I'm going to turn it over to Ray now. Dude, I am so messed up on accuracy right now. <laughs> I loved hearing you talk about lucid dreaming. I was an art major, got way into that myself, looking for imagery for different dreamlike paintings that I was doing. Uh, read a book on lucid dreaming. I'd always had a lot of sleep paralysis and the ability to mess around a little in my dreams when I was a kid. 
uh, remember dreams really well, super vivid. But when I started doing uh, practicing, you know, for lucid dreaming, I would do some dream journaling. I do kind of pre-sleep meditation and focus things and uh, kind of self-programming. My dreams got so freaking vivid, uh, sights, sounds, smells, colors that were just like so vivid. uh, And the dream sequences got so long that I was barely sleeping anymore. And I had to quit just to kind of maintain my sanity. Anyway, it was really cool to hear you talk about it and that you had a similar experience. One thing I used to do uh, as I was drifting off to sleep would be to kind of build these elaborate, like, uh, what would you call them, studies or dens or layers for myself, you know, kind of little secret hideaways, and imagine different uh, ways to get into and out of them and different features of the rooms. And I think that's something that could still be useful if you if you really wanted to work on that kind of uh, meditation for building environments for gaming but yeah not not a not a practice i recommend to people honestly it was a cool thought experiment but pretty weird pretty weird so that was ray otis from the plundergrounds podcast excellent stuff yeah a lot to talk about i mean i could do a whole based on all that i could do a whole lucid dreaming episode but i'm not gonna do that but (laughs) Some of the things you talked about, though, you know, kind of the self-programming, you know, reprogramming yourself and all that. Um, yeah, a lot of it on upon reflection, it really comes down to your your will, you know, your your strength of of will, and what you really are are, are willing to happen, and that gets into a lot of other weird discussions, but. Um, you know, when you're talking about using different techniques and everything, the thing that really helped me to, to really start doing it was that kind of contemplation and meditation on looking at my hands and my dreams. But eventually it was not, I did not need a, you know, a a method or anything. It was, became just a matter of will, you know, and, and want to do it. Um, when you talk about, it getting to be too much or you didn't really phrase it that way, but I'd read somewhere about some shaman, some that, you know, all they did was lucid dream. They never, you know, that was the only form of, of, of sleeping they did. So then in essence, they were always awake, you know, for the, you know, for the rest of their lives once they learned it, which is just, uh, you spend a lot of time lucid dreaming that's a uh, an odd little bit frightening thought to think about uh to always be awake because you know like ray it sounds like i uh i just eventually wanted to just sleep and and turn my brain off (laughs) and just have a just complete and total slumber um but it's not such a thing where I would tell someone not to do it. I didn't have a, it wasn't a horrible experience. It wasn't like, uh, you know, Jacob's ladder or something like that, or like deep morphine transmissions, like, uh, Amy Allen's trying to get you into on that game. But there's something to be said for just blissful sleep where you don't even remember your dreams at all. And you just wake up rested and it's like time was just gone for a minute. Um, and it's, uh, 
you know, to some people, I imagine they're like, oh, I'd love to be lucid, you know, able to lucid dream. I love it. And then, you know, it's not exactly be careful what you wish for, but sometimes just uh, obliviousness, oblivious sleep is best. <laughs> You'll just have to take my word for it or, you know, find out for yourself. So thank you very much, Ray. I appreciate that. From last week's show, I've got a call in from Colin Green. And I got to tell you, I love Colin uh, from Spike Pit. Love him. Love you, Colin. Uh, check this out. Hey, Frothman. Jeez. Last episode, you and Elizabeth talking about family gaming, man. Oh, you hit me right in the feels. Oh, awesome. Awesome stuff. And yeah, you, I would just say to everyone, you know, the kids grow up so fast. And um, you've got to make the most of it. Whilst they're young, they've got that unfettered imagination and everything is just wild and great. It's an awesome time. Um, make a bit of time to get together and play some games. Anyway, you take care, bro. Catch you later. Colin, I'm not crying, you're crying, right? <laughs> Oh man, when I, when I heard your message, dude, I feel you exactly, man. I it time it, the the time thing is is so crazy, and I try to joke about. It. I'm like, I got one foot in the grave, you know. Uh, I'm hurtling towards death, but it's I am hurtling towards death. The the, the, the birthdays come faster and faster. The the holidays are around before you know it, and my God, you know, my daughter is growing up so fast. I mean, she's about to turn eight and it seems just like, I mean, it's just, it's, it's crazy. Uh, and you know, you, you can't get back, you can't get back time. You know, <laughs> you got all these rich people now that are, uh, trying to figure out how to slow down aging and everything. And Hey, sign me up. You know, I, I'd love to live forever. I really would. I'm not one of these people that, uh, feels great about, you know, ah, death. Sure. Who cares? Part of life. No, nah, I'm not that way. I'm a little apprehensive about it. <laughs> I don't want it to come. Uh, I'd like to just keep, you know, stay where I'm at. Can I hit the pause button? And, uh, but it, 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 I try to spend as much time as I can with her. And, you know, you just you, you try to instill the values and you try to prepare for when you can't be there. And that's all so scary to me. I'm not so scary about her judgment as I am just about, you know, this world full of snakes and vipers and horrible people you know what i mean it's um it's definitely the most important and the best thing i've ever done uh was 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 you know helping do my small part to <laughs> say it's the best thing my wife ever did uh, i played a very small role a very short <laughs> small role uh, anyway um but it's the best thing i've ever been a part of so proud of her um but it's also the scariest thing, you know, and I'm one of these dads. It's like, I'm totally overprotective. I might be, you know, I might be making her more rebellious down the line. 
I do teach her to question everything. I do not try to tell her this is where everything comes from and everything is, you know, roses and that's everybody knows what everything is. I don't do that at all. Um, she might get a little bit of that from her grandparents or whatever, but I try to, I want her to be questioning. I want her to not settle and not think, feel like she understands and knows everything. I want her to feel like life is a mystery and, and I want her to search for her own answers and, and, and everything. But at the same time, I'm protective as hell. God. <laughs> and she's going on this, uh, this week long girl scout camp this summer. And, uh, it's this deal where, you know, the great thing is no phones, but the other thing is, you know, there's no calls home or anything. She's going to be there just a week. I'm not going to see her or hear from her or see, see her for a week. She's all pumped up. She's fired up. She's the first one wanting to go. And I'm just, oh, God, it's just, uh, I wish I could just stop things right where they are, you know, but I really appreciate it, Colin. And I know you, uh, you knew where, I, you know, and anybody out there really that games with their kids knows, knows where, where it's coming from. You know, this it is the, the creativity, the, the fun being able to, it's the closest you can get to really experiencing that again, you know, what it was like for yourself. And it's just a great way to spend time with your family. It just does not get any better. It's just a, such a creative, fun way to spend time with your family. And, um, anyway, so thank you for that, Colin. Appreciate it very much. So I think we're ready now to get into the meat of the show. And you know what comes first? Yep, maps. All right, so it was just last week that I uh, linked y'all over to the 9 and 30 Kingdoms blog. And I didn't know who the person's name, but then uh, I had posted a comment on their blog and, and they came up as Talisman, so it's Talisman's blog. And it's the numbers, 9and30kingdoms.blogspot.com. Um, last week, I had put up a couple of pamphlet, uh, free pamphlet, kind of zine PDFs they had put up for download. And they put up another one, uh, Pamphlet Town, Revelode PDF. And so this one, uh, uh, they, they remarked that it's uh, maybe the only town-sized, you know, kind of settlement that they, they'll do because... Uh, of the labeling, you know, the fonts and everything for, for something, you know, a pamphlet. But, uh, I thought it was really cool. Love these and, uh, really cool for them to put it up for free. Keep that word in mind free because that comes up later in this episode. It's kind of like the beginning of an electric company or something, but, uh, thank you for that talisman. And, uh, y'all go over there and check that out. I put the map up, uh, and a link up over at, uh, the thought of your blog. So very cool. The Revelode town pamphlet. Then over at Rand Roll, it's a blog on random tools and tables. I've mentioned this before, randroll.com. Duncan Thompson put up this post, Tools of Legend, Asgar's Fantasy Map Generator. And this is awesome. It's got a link to a free tool called Asgar's Fantasy Map Generator. And it also has like an interview with Asgar themselves talking about it. But what a cool, uh, useful, awesome tool if you're trying to make like a world map, you know, uh, area map, continents, that kind of thing for your world. Uh, mess around with this thing. This is great for people out there like Froth that have no discernible artistic talent uh, when it comes to, to drawing. Um, um, 
So yeah, I fooled around with it a little bit. Really cool. If you're designing your own world or already have an idea and you just kind of look at your scribbles and you're like, uh, yeah, I can do better than this. Well, check out the Asgars fantasy map generator. Really awesome. Thanks for posting that, Duncan, over at randroll.com. Finally, on the maps, this is at the Laughing Leviathan blog, laughleviathan.blogspot.com. This is Brian Molina's uh, blog. They posted about a, uh, a a adventure that they've put up recently um, for sale called the Dryad Sanctuary. And they mentioned that they were originally going to use this idea that is similar to what... Um, I put up with a break RPG, you know, weeks and weeks back where um, it's got this map that can be kind of folded into a, a geometric shape or a dice. And it's called a Deca Dungeon was the concept. They didn't use it for the Dryad Sanctuary, but they talk about using it again. And um, so definitely take a look at this at the Thought Eater blogs. It's hard to describe, but it's really awesome. Like I want a whole set of these things. And I was thinking about these deck of dungeons and how you could use them. I'd love to use them for like hex generators. And I was thinking, you know, each side could be like a different kind of terrain and you use two of them. So that you kind of have like a control in there because you know, you, you want, you want it to be more likely that, um, the same kind of terrain continues. You know, you don't want it to be like water mountains desert you know like froth what are you doing this world doesn't make any sense you know no just keep walking eventually it'll all be get back to forest again but uh but you'd roll two of them like say you're in it was a water hex you roll two of these and if one of them's a water hex it stays water hex if it's uh two things that aren't what you're in you know the dm can choose which one you know makes the most sense and that could gradually build it Really cool idea. I think I'd love it, but you know, I, there ain't no way Frost making these deck of dungeon dice. Y'all get real. <laughs> Maybe if I had a template. <laughs> but um, anyway, really cool. Love this, and uh, it's so awesome. So Brian, great job there, and uh, y'all check out that Dryad Sanctuary adventure as well. Spotted a few reviews. I thought I'd link y'all to and mention. Uh, you know the big. You know, the big new D&D release is the Ghosts of Saltmarsh book. And um, so I put up a couple of reviews to that. Um, one over at Acratic Wizardry, acraticwizardry.blogspot.com. That is uh, Acrasia blogging over there. And then uh, Brandis Stoddard did one over at Tribality, tribality.com. I got mine in the mail and just, it's kind of like everything. I leafed through it a little bit and just put it on the shelf. You know, hopefully I'll run it at some point. Pretty familiar with the original Salt Marsh modules. Not so much with the additional ones, you know, in there from Dungeon Magazine. But the book looks really nice and it's gotten, uh, you know, really good reviews so far. I mean, it's kind of, you know, the home team cheering for it, you know what I mean? But uh, it looks really good and... Um, it's got a few new backgrounds in there for 5e and uh, uh, the artwork, cartography, all everything looks really good. So if you're interested in what that one's looking like, uh, a couple of reviews up there for you on Ghosts of Saltmarsh. This looked really cool. Zedexu over at uh, zedexu.tumblr.com did a little review of faux pas. 
And uh, this is by uh, Block Shrike, aka Nick LS Whelan, who I've followed around uh, Google Plus, you know, for years. Um, this uh, this adventure looks really unique. Uh, in faux pas, a village is racked by a terrible disease. Infected people audibly go pop and fly into a murderous rampage, after which they start to manifest terrible mutations of body and mind. Um, there's a dungeon, down the dungeon well, a forgotten temple. It's got some new visitors recently, the Glockoth the Gilligathur, basically gray aliens here to harvest eldritch energies to power their starship. They are the source of the popping plague. Their refueling activities produce a yellowish byproduct that is poisoning the well water, though they are unaware of its toxicity to local life. And, uh, it's, you know, basically the aliens, you know, will try to undo it and help out if, if you let them know, but they can't communicate with us. So even like waving at them, they, they, uh, you know, waving to them means something completely different. You can just see all the weird uh, role play opportunities from this adventure and everything else. And then uh, Anxi P, uh, who I've followed along for a while as well, Anxi does the uh, the artwork, which is you know really fantastic and and original. And so um, this looks like a winner. Um, to check out so i put up a link to check it out if you're into like a you know a weird uh you know kind of uh D, &D i guess you could play it um i'm not sure of the time period but you could probably play this with multiple systems and it's a really unique creative idea from uh, nick whelan so check that out over at zedexu's tumblr and then finally on the reviews this is going back old school uh Gamma World 2nd Edition, not the 1st Edition, but the 2nd second, second Edition box. And uh, this is over at RollingBoxCars.com. Uh, so I believe Daniel Stack did this. Let me double check. Yes, a review from Daniel Stack. I'm not familiar at all with 2nd Edition Gamma World. And this gave me a good overview. Um, goes into kind of good detail about just about everything. Unfortunately, this is one that you still have to buy you know, uh, on the used market that they haven't put a PDF up on uh drive through or any of that yet, but, um, maybe they'll get to it. And it was actually kind of another cool part about this is how they, Daniel broke down how they, uh, how the different editions, you know, you know, the first and second edition sort of match up. The third edition is a table based, like, I guess it has like an action table, like uh Marvel superheroes. I've never seen that one either, but I'd like to play Gamma World with a universal table deal. Uh, it's fourth edition was AD&D based. Fifth edition, Alternity based. I never played Alternity either. Um, although I heard good things about the system. Um, sixth edition was like a 3X deal published by White Wolf. And then seventh edition, which I actually do have the box for that, was like a 4E deal with uh, random cards and stuff like that. It's actually pretty good if you if you like fourth edition. So... But anyway, um, this Gamma World 2nd Edition is certainly cool looking and uh, it's a really nice review. Maybe it will inspire you to uh, get your wallet out and go searching for a second-hand copy. And uh, yeah, that's what I got for reviews. I think I've got some really good uh, stuff in the retrospective section for you all today. Um, at least I really enjoyed it. I hope you all do too. First at med medievalists.net. This is such a great post. <clears throat> Excuse me. The history of flying in the Middle Ages. 
Now, aside from the amazing, awesome artwork, like the picture I put up on Thought Eater was uh, from uh, the French National uh, uh, Library of uh, Alexander the Great's flying machine. And it's like, I guess, somebody in a cage being flown by two griffins. It's totally gameable. It's just insanely gameable. Just check it out. But this whole article is about like you know ideas of flight and attempts in the Middle Ages and everything, whether it's trying to emulate wings or use kites um, or all these other ideas and everything. And it's just, it's wonderful. It's a great, great read just for the history of it, but also um, because you're un you'll undoubtedly find something you can incorporate into a game. It's just, uh, it's great. So there, there's a, a lot of great articles that come up uh, from time to time over at uh, medievalist.net. So that's a good one if you're, if you're a history buff like me or whatever good one to follow along with but don't miss this one the history of flying uh the history of flying machines in the middle ages it's great 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 inspiration and just fascinating and i was just talking about traps on the top three tuesday so rfed if you're listening to this and you didn't like my answers and you wanted something really more specific this article over at oldschoolroleplaying.com is called traps and dungeons and dragons and it's very specific it goes room traps and then just bullet points Crushing walls, crushing ceilings, rooms that fill with sand, blah, blah, blah. Staircase traps, collapsing stairs, blah, blah. You know, hallway traps, door traps, traps in Dungeons Dragons that have a different purpose, uh, traps, blah, blah, blah. And, and on and on and on, listing different traps. This is a great one, I think, for any GM, you know, to print this out or at least copy paste uh, all the different trap ideas if you want to just have a sheet where you have a bunch, you know, because sometimes it's hard to remember, <laughs> you know. Sometimes it's hard for me to remember quite a bit. So having all these kind of trap ideas just written down in one place is, is great. Uh, great post here uh, from Malcolm the Firebringer. And it's got cool art from a bunch of different old modules and, and, and books and everything. So great overall post there. Uh, <coughs> traps and Dungeons and Dragons. Finally, as far as the retrospectives go, DM David that I brought up before is at dmdavid.com. They've, they've started a series that's on the uh, 10 greatest D&D adventures since 1985. Uh, I guess because, you know, the ones before 1985, you see a lot of the same ones listed or, you know, this is one to look at the post-Gygax post years, you know. And so they've got, as of this recording, they've got four up so far. They've got uh, Gates of Firestorm Peak at number 10. Let's see. They put uh, they put the new Tomb of Annihilation at number 9. They've got Sunless Citadel. That's another one from Bruce Cordell at 8. And then they've got uh, Vault of the Dracolich at number 7. And that looks like it was uh, it's multiple authors. Let's see if I can make this bigger. Mike Shea, a.k.a. Uh, uh, not Lazy DM. What does he call himself? He wrote the Lazy DM. Scott Fitzgerald Gray and Tia Sabadia all worked on that together. So, um, so you know, I like looking at lists like this because, you know, you never agree with all of them, but you might see something you hadn't heard of or you might... Um, you know, see what you agree with, see what you disagree with. That's why I like kind of doing the top three Tuesdays as well. So I thought that was a cool series, you know, looking at the uh, top 10 adventures according to DM David since 1985. 
can go over there to dmdavid.com and see if you agree with their choices and um, and maybe you know find out find a hidden gem that you hadn't heard of. And now a word from our sponsors. Okay. You know what that sound means. The dice sit in the table. It's time to uh, roll on some random tables. But first, I've got a generator to, me to mention to you over at uh, frugalgm.com. Free GM resource. OSR character generators compiled by the Smoldering Wizard. So Frugal GM links you over to the smolderingwizard.com where um, there's a bunch of awesome... OSR generators from a bunch of different sources. And there's first edition AD&D, Astonishing Swordsman, uh, Swordsman, a bunch of BX, Traveler, Delving Deeper, Holmes Basic, Labyrinth Lore, a bunch of different systems. So I immediately bookmarked this page, the old school RP character generators from smolderingwizard.com uh, that, that uh, Frugal GM links you to. But these are great for spur-of-the-moment games or to come up with meat shields for the party or anytime you got to just generate a character on a quickness, sometimes you don't feel like rolling and you don't really care, just click a button and go. So if you want a bunch of OSR character generators, some are PDFs, some are, you know, clicking, you know, automated, go over and check that out, frugalgm.com, always giving you or linking to uh, awesome stuff to help you out. All right, so first... We're going over to signsinthewilderness.blogspot.com. This is a great, great site I've mentioned before. Joe Fatula does these uh, random tables over here. They're always really creative. And this one's about, you know, it's called Shining City in the Wilderness. So it's about like a community trying to build like their utopia. And it's got uh, all these tables where you can kind of generate it. So let's see what species it is that's trying to build this elusive utopia. Okay, so this is a group of elves. A group of elves that are the veterans of the losing side in a war against the Empire. So maybe outcasts, they lost the war, and now they're trying to build their utopia. Let's see what ideal their community is based on. Um, refuge, they want to offer a safe haven for those in need. And every utopian community is based on a vision, a shared dream of how they'll build a better world. And so their inspiration is they've got a prophet or elder that the leaders listen to, someone who speaks of visions and forgotten wisdom. So, yeah, so some, some enigmatic old prophet or elder that everyone listens to has had visions uh, that have led them to do this. What difficult task is ahead of them that they'll need some help with? Whoop, I rolled the wrong dice. Uh, their difficult task is to obtain the foundation of the city, a sacred object to institute true worship, mothers and fathers to begin making babies, an official charter or a seedling of the perfect tree, some kind of foundation. Seedling of the perfect tree, that sounds good for elves. Uh, and what danger is roused by the making of this utopia? Roll twice, one danger leading to the other. So thousands of people are flocking here from all around, making the other powers of the world wary of their power. Might be back at war soon. 
and this leads to a depletion of local resources, overhunting game animals, chopping down all the trees. So yeah, so you get the idea with that one. I really, um, I really like what Joe Fatula is doing over there at Signs in the Wilderness. The, again, the byline is a 1700s post-apocalyptic, hopeful frontier fantasy setting for role-playing games. Very uh, uh, unique ideas over there. Great, great stuff. Signs in the Wilderness.blogspot.com. Check out that shining city in the wilderness random table. And then, you know, you, you love Elf Maids and Occupy. You know uh, Consum Terra, Chris Tam. You love Chris Tam. So uh, Chris has uh, been doing a bunch of cool pamphlet um, zines over on Chris's Patreon. So if, if you're not backing that Elf Maids and Occupy Patreon, uh, I highly recommend it. Um, endless creativity. But uh, Chris put up a, um, a D100 table for us recently. This is um, D100 Petty Secret Cults. And uh, these are for cults, sects, and orders which you might find in villages, towns, and cities among the common folk. So D100 Petty Secret Societies here. Let's see. D100. Uh, Petty Secret Society. They believe that weather spirits are appointed by gods to bring rain and good weather to the worthy. Or another one would be... Air cults that worship on hilltops and mountains and seek to control the weather. One more. A chaos, a chaos cult. The worshippers gain mutations and spread formless and hybrid creatures. So there's, you know, with with Chris's stuff, you know, you can just read through it and just be like, whoa, came up with a hundred of these? Oh my God. Uh, but a bunch of cool ideas there where you can just roll on them randomly or just read through. You're bound to find a cult or two that you like or that your players will hate. And then at Eldritch Fields, this is Tomas Kizbali's blog. I mentioned, mentioned these uh, Eldritch Fields a lot. And y'all listeners to these might notice that some of the same blogs come up. I don't pick favorites, but some people just blog more than others, you know. And this, I, I don't, unless someone links back to it, I usually try to stick with what's happened that week, you know. Sometimes I'll miss something, or sometimes it goes back a little further, or sometimes someone links to something. But um, if you hear the same names coming up, it's because they're rocking it, and they're rocking it frequently. So... Tomas Kizbali uh, fits that mold. D10 Weird Books. No elaborate intro. This is just D10 Weird Books. Let's see what we get. A real page turner. After looking at any page, the reader must save against paralyzation or be unable to stop reading for D6 hours. Repeat save every hour to snap out of it. Oh, I love that. Love it. They can't put the book down. That's like me reading... Uh, hmm... And if I get started reading some Robert Anton Wilson, that's hard to put down. Um, I tell you, if I start reading some Call of Cthulhu scenarios, that can be something that uh, I can't get away from for a while. Um, playing at the World, that's another real page turner. The first part of Bram Stoker's Dracula, uh, I recently reread, and that whole um, Jonathan Harker intro 
like I sat sat there and read that all in one reading. What's another one? Uh, I don't know. I'm getting off subject. Something else I couldn't stop reading. Oh, Turn of the Screw. I read that in like a sitting. Uh, I'm going to mention that again. I, I got some call-ins about my favorite horror movies and stuff uh, from the Top 3 Tuesday. If you haven't listened to that, go back and check it out. I ended up talking a little bit about favorite horror movies, and um, I got some call-ins that brought that one into my mind. Uh, Turn of the Screw and then The, the Innocence, you know, the, the uh, great movie that was based on that. But I don't know. Just got off topic there, <laughs> talking about page turners. But uh, let's see, what's one more uh, weird book here on the D10 list from Eldritch Fields? A Tome of Anti-Knowledge. When read, the content, content of this book is erased from the reader's mind. If the reader knew something about the topic of the book, they forget it. And if they didn't know, from now on, they're unable to learn about it. A save against magic is permitted. Well, you could really ruin a magic user or somebody with that one there. Uh, like if they read their spell book, they can't use the spell book anymore. If they find like some spell book or something, or, um, just anybody that knows anything about something, you know, like, Oh, I'm, I, you know, you've got one of these party members that's, I'm an alchemist. I, I know everything about herbs and everything. I can create all this stuff. It's like, oh, okay, well you find this weird book. Now they say it's, uh, you know, got a lot of knowledge in it about herbs, but no, nah, I wouldn't do that. That's that's a that's a rough one there. Very creative, but that might be good for uh, be affecting NPCs or something rather than just give it to your players, depending on what the subject is. Uh, but I love it. Um, Eldritchfields.blogspot.com, great stuff. And then you know I, I was like I was just saying a, a lot of these some of these same blogs come up, but K Trey rocks it with the random tables. And uh, since I always do a section on random tables. You're going to hear some K-Tray from time to time. we got 100 unconventional potions. 100 unconventional potions. K-Tray is another one that... Uh, endless creativity, kind of in that spirit of Chris Tam, you know, to come up with all these D100 tables all the time. Uh, that's a... got to be creative. So, unconventional potion. Instantaneous and impressive beard growth. <laughs> God... I don't need any help with that crap. I don't wear a beard, but my hair grows so fast. I usually wear my hair really short. And damn, it's like the more you shave, the more you cut your hair short, the faster it grows. So my my hairstylist, she loves me. She's like, oh, yeah, cut it all short again? Yeah. Yep, see you in a month and a half. Let's see. Uh, what's another unconventional potion? Any child drinking these gains three levels of magic user. What? Don't give it to my daughter. Who knows what could happen? One more on here. Um, insect repellent. Works opposite on the big ones. Ooh. So it... Uh, big insects, it draws you to them. You might think it's working. Hey, look, no mosquitoes here. Walking through the swamp. Hey... Sorry you guys are getting bit, but uh, this potion, there's only enough for one of us. And then all of a sudden, boom, giant dragonfly or something fall, flies straight to them. I love that. All right, so yeah. So cool random tables again this week. I'll make sure I, I got them all. Yeah, so that the you got the OSR character generators at Frugal GM. You got that shining city in the wilderness at signsinthewilderness.blogspot.com. D100 petty secret cults. 
from Chris Tam at elfmaidsandoctopi.blogspot.com, D10 Weird Books over at eldritchfields.blogspot.com, and finally a D100 table of 100 unconventional potions at blog.d4caltrips.com. It's really amazing every week to have so much cool, uh, so many cool random tables. But there you have it, another week. And uh, so let's see, what's next? Some cool miscellaneous stuff this week. I'm just going to bounce through over at dragons.ie. Um, they put up a post. Uh, this is a Desks and Dragons blog. It's called uh, Snap Sandbox Events with Sticky Notes. And this is a homebrew system that uh, this person uses in their game that they run at their office during lunch hour, uh, the lunch hour. Ah, oh, that makes me jealous. I'd love to get in on some D&D during lunch. That would really help break up the day. But anyway, <clears throat> it's a system they use for um, moving these sticky notes around on a grid and kind of anticipating what random events are happening now or what's coming down the line or what, what might be happening in an area of the campaign setting away from the players. And it was just a neat, like I say, kind of homebrew system this person's come up with that I thought it was cool to like, you know, peel, you know, look behind the DM screen and see how someone else is doing something. So you go over there to dragons.ie and check out that snap sandbox events with sticky notes post. It might give you some ideas for some kind of system of your own. Then if you like papercraft, uh, papercraft minis or any of that other stuff, I noticed a post at polyhedralnonsense.wordpress.com where they put up some free Stargate paper minis. You know, they're for Stargate, you know, movie or TV shows, but uh, I guess there was even a Stargate game um, um, RPG for a while, but you could use them with any kind of sci-fi sort of setting, sci-fi militaristic sort of setting, but... Um, that led me down the rabbit hole from some links on their blog and uh, ended up at this onemonk.com downloads page. It's got a bunch of papercraft stuff, minis and otherwise, and this this whole forum dedicated to uh, paper papercraft stuff called Cardboard-Warriors, the Cardboard Warriors Forum at uh, proboards.com. So I've got links to all that stuff there. If you've got some time and are into that kind of stuff, uh, lots of free stuff, lots of interesting stuff to look at, so you can check that out. Uh, Delta over at uh, Delta's D&D Hotspot, deltasdnd.blogspot.com. Delta's been doing this so long, but still comes up with really interesting topics. They put up a post about the historical cost comparison between uh, you know real medieval costs and those in D&D, looking at uh, the costs of goods, the costs of employing you know uh, people for various tasks, the costs of uh, uh, associated with uh, stronghold creation and kind of comparing and contrasting the differences between uh, you know how close D and D got to actual costs and where it was the furthest off. Looks like D and D really lowballed the cost of armor, and uh, but other things you know it's you know it to me it was really interesting. So if you want to compare and contrast the actual costs, uh, the actual medieval costs with those of D and D. Go over to deltasdnd.blogspot.com. Check out the historical cost comparison post. And then finally, I can't remember where I saw this, what blog it was, but there's this uh, cool flow chart. I th- think that maybe if you're a more experienced player, like probably many of y'all listening are, maybe not as helpful. But if you're running a 5e game for like a group of your friends that have never played before or, or uh, you know, young adults, this flow chart, what fifth edition, fifth edition character class should you play, I think would be a really helpful tool. You know, you follow around, answer the questions, and it takes you to a class. 
that might uh, be up your alley. In fact, I think um, I can think of some friends of mine that have never played before to where this would definitely be something I would um, send to them, you know, prior to a game rather than just have them show up and just be like, here's a PHB, you know, here's 11 things you never heard of. What do you want to play? You know? Um, so, uh, anyway, uh, a cool image, well done, uh, flow chart there. What fifth edition character class should you play? And you could really use it for other editions too. It's just, it's got some things like, uh, you know, sorcerers and warlocks that aren't in every edition. But anyway, I wish I could remember what blog I found that on, but, uh, you know who you are. If you're listening, apologize for not being able to credit you. I couldn't find it when I look back for it. I know I've got some fans of, uh, old pulp magazines and pulp novels, uh, that listen to my show. So I thought I'd point out a couple of sites y'all want to pay attention to. One is uh, blackgate.com blackgate adventures in fantasy literature. They put up a great post this week, vintage treasures, the weird tales, anthologies, all about the different printings and stuff of these weird tales anthologies that are out there to collect or try to track down. Just, well, worth going and checking out just for the artwork alone, some amazing artwork. So if you're a fan of uh, Robert E. Howard and Lovecraft and Clark Ashton Smith and all that stuff, you want to go check this out, Um, find some collector's items you might want to track down. And then at SF Magazines, uh, sfmagazines.com, science fiction magazines. They do science fiction, fantasy, and horror magazine reviews. Uh, something I really appreciate about them, they look back at old pulp magazines and kind of give you a rundown of what's there. And then a lot of them they'll link over to uh, where you can read them yourself and check them out at archive.org. So the image I put up is from Astounding Science Fiction from December 1943. And again, this uh, this site is just filled to the brim with uh, with pulp stuff, particularly on the in the science fiction variety. So if you're a fan of these old uh, pulp uh, magazines, pulp um, Pulp Fiction, uh, you'll definitely want to go check these out. You might already be aware of them, but if not, uh, bookmark them and, and have a look. There's lots of good stuff you can track down, even stuff that you can just easily go read right now without having to spend a thin dime. So, All right, so the final topic tonight, kind of a doozy. I, I try not to prepare too much. I've talked about that, if you haven't noticed. What, Froth? You don't, is that unscripted? Um, because I want my thoughts to come across naturally and everything, and I couldn't help have this play around a little bit in my head over the last week. Um, you know, when Google Plus went away, I, I joined. I've joined up a bunch of different, you know, with a bunch of different social media sites, Plus Spora and, and MeWe, and uh, you know, I'm s- still on Facebook, and and then. Uh, also Twitter, you know, and each of the different social media sites kind of has its own characteristics. And, uh, part of what you see on Twitter, I guess it's, it's a, by virtue of, uh, the folks that are on there as well as just the, uh, you know, you only have a, a few words you can, you know, get across there. Um, but one, one thing you see is, uh, a lot of kind of imperative statements or a lot of, uh, I don't know, some of it is a little bit of like, you know, like a, my granddad yelling out the window, you know, you might see a post like, Hey guy that 
sold me my sandwich today. You know, way to go with the mustard, jerk, or something. You know, the, the, the guy that made the sandwich is never going to read the tweet. You know, it's just kind of people venting, I guess, a lot of it. Or people, you know, explicitly saying that what they're saying is a hot take, you know, because they only got a, a few words to say it. So it'll be, you know, if you're doing this, then you're doing this wrong. Or if, uh, you know, hey, hot take, blah, you know, this, this, that, you know. Um, and there's not a lot of, I mean, it's a nightmare to try to make threads on there. So there's not a lot of nuanced discussion. It's, it's terrible for discussion, really. It's great for self-promotion or, or, or hot takes, really. And uh, so a lot of what you do see is self-promotion. Um, in fact, I would say nowadays, and I'm, I'm not being a hypocrite. I, you know, I've got a little Patreon and put some stuff up. Uh, I like to make a couple, a couple of bucks, you know, uh, while I'm doing stuff that I love, whatever. I've got no illusions about making some kind of second career out of this. But I, I was, I read an article like a New Yorker or somewhere was talking about the, you know, the side hustle economy and everything. And I think a lot of it is, um, you know, different age groups or whatever, but, but at the same time, you know, the, it's rare that I see anybody that doesn't have a Ko-Fi or a Patreon or selling something. Every single person I follow, um, you know, and I'm saying myself included, has got some kind of angle at, at trying to make money on uh, on RPGs. You know, whether it's making dice or dice bags or being an editor, being a writer, streamer, cosplayer, artist, cartographer, whatever. It's like it's the monetization of the, the hobby is, is complete at this point. Um, so anyway, some posts that came up on Twitter were talking about, well, they had a couple of major points, you know, that free products, free or pay what you want products are actively harming anyone else that's, you know, sells their products, you know, that they're causing harm. And that also anybody that puts up something for free or pay what you want, you know, that something's wrong with them for doing that. You know, they lack confidence or they, um, you know, they, they don't like what they're doing or there's something wrong with somebody for, for putting up something for free. So anyway, Jack Shear, who I've always liked and respected, um, every interaction I've had with Jack, I like Jack because Jack seems like their own person they've kind of got their own niche carved out in what they do. Jack blogs over at tales of the grotesque and dungeonesque.blogspot.com. And Jack put up a post that I pretty much agree with every word of called the value of what you do is your call. And, uh, I enjoyed it particularly because they actually put up something for free at the end of it. And what it does is it, it collects a few Twitter posts and it's, it's got the, the names of who put them up marked out, which I, I think is a good thing is you can just, you know, completely look at this as what words you're seeing. And so some of the, here's some of the tweets just so you can have an idea. And then, uh, if you're able to, um, if you're listening to this driving or whatever, you're, you'll just, you won't be able to read this right now, but if you're listening to this somewhere, you can stop it and actually go read this post before I talk. It might, might help you you could read through this i would recommend doing that first but anyway the one of the tweets it says napalm take and it's got little fire emojis so they're already you know setting this up like some people do you know to 
deliberately be provocative or, or whatever. It's kind of like, like I say, it's like, you don't see it anywhere, but Twitter it's a, but, um, so napalm take the biggest issue in the tabletop role-playing game industry. Again, the biggest issue in the entire industry isn't the reach of Dungeons and Dragons. It's that we have content creators who say, I don't care about money. I'm not looking to get rich. No, stop this. Stop it right now. So the biggest issue in the entire role-playing game industry is that you have people that make things that don't, that aren't looking to get rich. That's the biggest um, issue, according to this person. And here's another one. I can only think of two reasons for giving stuff away for free. You don't respect yourself or your work enough to get paid, or you have a cogent strategy where the free product is a loss leader. One is valid, the other isn't. So it's all completely... No matter what you create, the, the only possible goal, you know, the only possible thought would have to be to somehow capitalize monetarily on it. That's the only possible reason anyone would ever do so, create something, <laughs> you know. Uh, and then, hey, hey, you tabletop. Well, this is again a Twitter thing. So it's you know just the 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 opening salvo here. Hey, hey, you tabletop role playing game designer. You know, hey, you. Charge at least $10 for your game PDF, no matter how small, short, for fun, or insignificant you think it is. You put work into that gosh darn game, and you deserve to get paid for it. So, you know, charge $10 no matter what it is. No matter what it is. And if you're a content creator arguing against this, then shame on you. Seriously, shame on you. If you enjoy working for Peanuts, then fine. Go do it in your own corner and stop adding to the devaluation of creative work. You know, go get, get in the corner, you know? So the first thing that jumps out at me with this is just the tone is just ridiculous. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I, I've always been devil's advocate and always have bristled at authority, you know? And even if it's something I agree with and it's said in an authoritative tone or holier than thou way i just it just it it's irritates my very soul it just does not come it just doesn't mix with me you know and then it's kind of like nobody puts baby in the corner you know <laughs> get in the corner you know uh and so at the same time i i do try to see where people are, are coming from and everything so minus all of the the tone and the, uh, you know, the, Hey, you, and the get in the corner and no, you stop this right now. The, the whole kind of Twitter, whatever Twitter language that's in here. Um, I do try to understand where people are coming from. And, and these people, I think sincerely believe that, um, that free products are somehow harming them. And they sincerely believe that, you know, it, the only reason someone would create something for free and give it away would be because they, they secretly hated it or had something wrong with them. Or they had all this self-doubt, you know, it couldn't just be for love or sharing something, you know, whatever. So anyway, Jack goes through and does a, does a, a good job. I think talking about it, it says that he's bothered by the assumption that anyone has a right to tell them how they should price their work. And the unspoken insistence that the primary way they should find value in what they do is economic nature. Uh, I totally agree with that. And it says it reduces the creative endeavor to its capitalist, capitalist expression. Totally agree. 
Um, they say that it's, that's pervasive in the language, talking about product, you know, how they reference product strategies, loss leader, and these kind of things. Totally agree. And, um, you know, but then says, you know, you're welcome to pay, you know, set price for what, whatever you like. But, um, you know, and then finally, you know, you do you, you know, is one of the things they say. But, uh, you know, so Jack is very, uh, and then Jack, of course, puts up a free free PDF at the bottom. Thanks for that, Jack. I downloaded it immediately. immediately. So anyway, I had some thoughts about this. And, and like I say, I, I don't want to turn it into a, I, I'm not, like I said, I believe that these people actually think what they're saying, you know, take the tone away of it and everything. Um, but I, I have to, like I said, I have to play devil's advocate a little bit. And, um, cause I really, in my experience, I, I don't think that free products hurt the industry. I mean, the industry is growing, you know, the industry is continuing to grow and there are more and more free products. So you would think that, you know, it, there's no correlation between the amount of free products and the amount of money that the industry is making. Also, I've bought, you know, I've gotten, you know, lots of free products from companies, um, you know, Goblinoid Games puts Labyrinth Lord out for free. Osric you can download for free. Lamentations you can download for free. Swords and Wizardry you can download for free. These are just off, you know, just listing. And I've bought all of them. I've gone, after getting it for free, I've bought every single one of those in print, right? So, I mean, if I hadn't seen them for free, I may never have bought them, you know? It's kind of like hearing a song on the radio and you go buy the album. It's not... <laughs> This isn't complicated, you know, economic theory or anything like that. Um, it's like, uh, you know, trying a sample at the grocery store, you know, they're giving, yeah, sure. They're giving something away for free, but it oftentimes leads to sales. Now, does it have to No, but I mean, free products lead to sales. I, I just, I don't know how, I, I don't, I, I don't see how someone can disagree with that. On the notion that if you give something away for free, you secretly have a you know a, a problem with your own work or, or fear or something. I mean, does Dungeons and Dragons gives away the basic rules for free? I know lots of people that just play with the basic rules. Are you saying that Dungeons and Dragons hates their own stuff or is so is afraid? No, of course not. You know, they're giving it away. Uh, they know that their their stuff is great, and that, so they can give it away and know that they're going to continue to make sales. And it's also just, they're giving away as a favor. So everyone can play the game, you know, some of the other conversations started turning to, you know, how you pay people in games and everything. And, 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 you know, talking about how impossible it is to, to, to make a living based on these. And some people break down how many, you know, if you sell on the DMs guild, how many, best gold sellers you, books you would have to have to make $50,000 a year or whatever, you know, you'd have to have you sell, you know, nine huge hardbacks per year to, at a gold level to make this much money or whatever. And the first thing I'm thinking is, well, your problem isn't that people are giving stuff away for free. The problem is you're selling on the DMs guild. I mean, they take a 50% cut right off the top. You know, I didn't, you know, I didn't graduate with an economics degree, but I mean, it's probably not the best example to use, you know, trying to get rich selling on the DM skill. It's like an oxymoron. It's a total hobbyist thing, you know, whether, you know, and so 
Yeah, you're not gonna get rich on the DMs Guild. I'm shocked. You know, you're giving away fifty percent of your your take from the get go. So I don't know. That to me was a anyway. <laughs> but uh, one of the things I don't see when you know people talk about the the amount you know per word and everything, it seems implicit when they're talking about these rates. It seems like implicit in that argument that everybody's a great writer. You know. Everybody should be paid this much per word. What What about the quality? I mean, what if you're What if you're paying me to edit? You know, you're you're not going to get. It's going to be terrible editing. <laughs> Do I deserve the exact same pay as someone else? I don't think. No, if you can actually set a, the same rate for every person, it's certainly quality has to be a part of it. I'm, I'm maybe I'm 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 missing something. I don't know because. You know, someone could write, uh, you know, thousands of words, but are they, is it, is it good? <laughs> I don't know. And then someone said, um, you know, that, well, you should actually just, people should, you know, be willing to, to pay more, you know, we should price the games because based on how much time someone's going to get out of it, because you're going to be able to play you know, hundreds and hundreds of hours with this game. So you should charge more for it. But I mean, by that logic, you know, basketball should cost $10,000. You know what I mean? That doesn't make any, any sense either. The sad truth of the matter, um, is that the market is going to dictate the price and market is going to dictate the wage. It's, it's just the way it is. And the only way to get wages higher, okay, is um, at least the way things are now is for either the, you know, the the business out of the goodness of their heart to start paying people more, you know, paying the writers more and everything, which means them making less money. And it's kind of like, you know, good luck with that. <laughs> Businesses don't, I mean, it could happen, but, you know, and, and then certainly if you're someone, you know, starting and you want to pay your people more, hey, I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying those are the industry standards for a reason and the, the businesses are not going to, you know, willingly, you know, it's unlikely, at least in my opinion, that businesses are willingly going to say, okay, we're going to, we're going to just make a lot less money to pay people more. We'll take home less, you know, especially with, you know, the, the market is saturated, you know, I mean, I look at just the free and pay what you want stuff every week on five E on the D DMS guild. And it's like 60 products a week. That's just the free stuff. And then you add in the, uh, the pay stuff and you're talking, you know, hundreds, this is just D and D five E D and D hundreds of stuff a week. You know, the market is completely saturated, saturated. So, you know, if you're the, company that's got to be trying to make money selling this stuff. I mean, good luck to you to begin with there. There's a reason that you've got just a few big companies and then a bunch of just people kind of basically hustling in small companies. Um, the other thing too, is, you know, there's going to be like, you know, tariffs and stuff. So the price of production of the books and parts for games and everything's going up. And so they're already eating that cost. It's like the most, it's the least likely time in years for them to be waging, you know, raising creator wages on top of the production costs. <sighs> and, uh, I guess I would say too, though, that 
part of it is I, part of my opinion is that I've just I've I've seen this where this goes before because of, with playing music and being in music scenes and um it's kind of like a lot of good things happened you know it became easier you know people there used to be just a concentration of certain record labels and everyone wanted to get signed and it was prohibitively expensive to record your own music and 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 so that was the whole system and then that broke down with you know with the internet it became easier to share thus it became easier for people to pirate and it became the the cost of the recording equipment came down to where more and more people could do it so now you have billions more bands than you ever did back then so is it easier to record and get your stuff out there without going through some large company yes just like it is in rpgs anybody can self-publish but is there more competition yes you know so when you talk about ways to get paid you know really probably the smartest way to pay creators would really to be give them some kind of cut or commission on the sales of the book you know and so you know the better quality or the better the book does you know the, the more money they make but i doubt seriously a lot of the writers and everything are gonna are gonna want to take that deal because you know they they realize i'm sure like anyone else is that the market's completely saturated most books probably sell nothing so you know they you can't get paid from nothing um you know and, but it would be great if you're on one of the big you know the you know doing something for wizards and got a little bit of product sharing but again i don't i don't think you're gonna see that they, they would you know they it's a big corporation. I mean, they, they, you're going to get paid the average rate. So I am sympathetic. I'm not trying to be completely negative. I am sympathetic that people want to make money at something they love. I know that at least the statistics I've seen in America, that most people do not like their jobs. It's definitely not what they set out in life to do most of the time. And so, and people love games and they love creating games. They love it. So if they see any kind of route to be able to do something they love and make money at it, they jump on it, you know, and I don't blame them. I, I like to make a little money on it myself, you know? So behind a lot of this, the, the tone and, and, uh, the, you know, sit in the corner and everything is is probably a little pain, you know, a little pain, a little disappointment in life, a little hate of your job, a little wanting to make money, you know, and I get that. This is the same way with the music. <clears throat> At the end of the day, even if it was, we weren't, you know, we weren't a capitalist society here in America, even if it was anarchy, you know, you're, you're going to be using maybe a barter system and then... <laughs> I'm sorry, but your, your products are going to be worth even less <laughs> because it has no intrinsic value except for a very, uh, small market. Um, you know, and, and even, you know, like if my dad knew I, I, God rest his soul. If my dad knew that I spent $300 on the castles, a gig box, you know, for me, I knew it was never going to be reprinted. You know, I wanted it. I spent 300 on it. But if I, you know, if I told my dad, <laughs> Hey, I know, I guess what? I spent $300 on this. He would have looked at me like I was like, I'd lost my mind <laughs> because to most people, it's just, it's just paper. It's just books. And so, you know, as far as the market setting the price, you know, if, if the only way you're really going to get that price up is the, you're either going to have the, the 
corporation take less money or you're going to have to raise the prices. And that's what, you know, some people were advocating for it. So like, let's make the prices higher. And so it's kind of like, you know, the conversation was like, Hey, if you give something away for free, you're hurting the, you're hurting the industry. Cheers. <laughs> people should be paid more for the writing. <laughs> Companies should pay people more for more of their money. <laughs> and the consumer, you, you should pay more for the book. Hey, you know, no, nobody's, nobody's clapping because nobody wants to pay more. I mean, the books, one of the books, like 50 or 60 bucks, um, you know, so just in short, I don't think that free stuff is hurting the industry. I don't think that you have to hate yourself or hate your product to give it away for free. I think that they're the, the, the most sensible thing for me as far as getting paid, I've worked on commissions, you know, for commission sales before it works. If you, if you're, if you're confident and, you, and you've got, you know, and you've got the skills to me looking at this, you know, because people are talking about how many, you know, you should maybe just charge by the hour. That way you get paid for the research, you know? So if I do 30 hours of research, you know, I get paid for the research I did for the product, but that doesn't make any sense either. Because what if you got, you hire somebody that's already well-versed in the topic that doesn't need to do that much research. It's like you're paying someone that knows less more for doing for research and something the other guy already knows. <laughs> so there's a lot of little, you know, I admit that the money sounds low. It definitely does, but you also, you know, no one's forcing you to take it. You know, you sign up. So I say, Hey, if someone offers me $5 to hit me in the stomach, I don't have to let them hit me in the stomach, you know? And, uh, so I think the most sensible thing would be to move some kind of move to some kind of profit sharing thing. You stand to make a lot more, but you also stand to make a lot less if the product isn't good, you know, for people don't buy it, you know, but uh, I don't know if just paying someone a set amount based on, you know, regardless of their writing talent makes much sense either. Um, but my God, I talked a long time about this, but I had a lot to say about it. I would love to, I know there are some anchorites that want to talk about this. So call me, talk to me, go and read Jack Shear's post first at Tales of the Grotesque and Dungeon Ask. Check this out. The value of what you do is your call and it comes with a free thing at the end. I'll have to listen back to what I said because I, I hope I came across this. I'm trying to look at, look at both sides of it. I really am. Um, and I, I, and I'm certainly no authority. Look, if you're listening to me, it's not like froth. I, if you haven't guessed, I don't know everything. These are just my opinions, you know, and it's from coming from somebody though. I will say this. I spend a hell of a lot more than $200 a year on RPGs. You know, I am a big time consumer of this stuff. And uh, I can tell you that free hasn't hurt me from spending anything. It's made me spend more money. And, um, and I don't mind spending a lot on something if the quality is really high. And then I love checking out free pay what you want stuff. It helps turn me on to new authors, you know, and, um, and I put my own thing out for free, pay what you want. And I can tell you exactly why I did it. Cause I hate myself. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> because I knew that even a place in it, putting out a dollar, you know, I, it probably would have hit half as many people. And I wanted just more people to see it. And I've put free stuff up on my site too. Because I want people to see it. I like to have a big conversation, reach as many people as I can, more than I want to, you know, squeeze every dime I can out of, out of it. Or think about money all the time when I'm doing something I love. Uh, you know, not everybody wants to feel that way. And you don't have to tell them to sit in the corner because, you know, 
just because they don't want to, you know, don't share the same dream of getting rich at RPGs that you do. You know what I mean? Anyway, that's enough of that. Wow, y'all. If y'all sat through that, that last 30 minutes, then you're a true froth fan. <laughs> I did not mean to go 30 minutes on that, but you know what? I, it is what it is. I want to hear some call-ins. Anchorites, call me. Tell me what you think about the whole free thing, you know. But anyway, I know you've given me enough of your time now. Um, so thanks for listening. Um, you can email me, frothsoft, frothsof at gmail.com. Remember, all these links are up at the Thought Eater blog, frothsoftdnd.blogspot.com. Message me on the Thought Eater, I mean, <laughs> message me on the Anchor app. I'll put you on the air. Um, thank you. Speaking of money, thank you to my patrons. Back me on Patreon, you know. Thank you for chipping in a buck a month to back me up on what I'm doing, you know. Um, uh, and uh, what was I going to say next? Ugh, too much talk. Yeah, I'll be back with a five-minute Friday. I think that's it for today. <laughs> Logan, make it stop. Sickly platypus, a psychic grenade. Zeroing in on your mental trade. Gonna help you escape from the grind. Thought eater gonna blow your mind.